Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. So I wanted to, um, I wanted to share that uh, there are ways to get out when you're dry. Have you ever, anybody ever been dry spiritually? You go through seasons, up and down. So I've caught myself the last few weeks in a, just a little bit of a dry season. So how do you get out of it? One way, one way that I get out of it is uh, I have a date that I have to preach today. <laughs> this is one advantage of being a preacher. You have a day of reckoning, like you have time that you need to get out. And a couple of weeks ago, I said, well, I'll, I'll just go fast for a few days. That, that seems to always help. And so I started fasting on a Thursday. My flesh was saying, I don't want to fast. I don't want to fast. I don't want to fast food. I don't want to fast entertainment. You know when your flesh is saying no, you're dry. I don't want to fast. And usually by the third day of a fast, first day I'm hungry, second day I'm hangry, and third day, usually, I just feel the presence of God, and I feel revival, and I feel sensitive to His Spirit, and I don't even want to eat again, because it feels so good. But this third day, I wasn't feeling the first time in my life. I'm hungry and hangry. Hey, where are you, Lord? So this Thursday, I said, well, let's try it again. I've noticed uh, sometimes when I'm dry, getting around prophetic people helps because they'll just speak something off you. It's almost, you know that feeling when you're, you've been in an airplane for 12 hours? It's just airplane on you. Sometimes there's spiritual airplane on you and the prophetic can knock that off. One time I was in Reading and uh, there were Four young men, they had all been, were scholarship offensive linemen from Florida State football. Back in the good old days, Bobby Bowden. How many of you know you got to be a stud to get recruited by Bobby Bowden, Florida State, back in the 90s? They're all out at Reading, and they're all spiritual young men. And they got me in the middle, and they started knocking off airplane dust off me. And they were literally almost picking me up and knocking me on the ground and spiritually speaking life into you. How many of you know sometimes you need a prophetic word over your life to get up? There'll be a prophetic, well, are we having prophetic teams today? Over here, if, you, if I'm speaking to you, get a prophetic word. But worship will take you out. Yeah. Worship, the word of God will get you out. The prophetic will get you out. I'd recommend a, a book by Bill Johnson. It's uh, he's strength. What is it? Strengthen, strengthen yourself in the Lord. He talks about how he strengthens himself in the Lord when he gets dry, when he's dealing with the stuff that he deals with, with introspection, with comparing himself to revivalists of old, when he's not seeing in the meetings what he's heard about in the past. But yesterday I was. Walking in here, it was 94 degrees in Tyrone yesterday. 
and praising the Lord like we did today, and I could just feel the presence of the King come, and the anointing have come, and the Word of God beginning to come alive. There's a way to get back, and uh, we do it together. It's one of the reasons we meet, right? We meet. Iron strengthens iron. I need you. You need me. Amen? So we're going to just spend some time. Sometimes I just like to open the Bible and let's just talk about it. Let's talk about it like it felt last night in my office, like it felt this week. So if you have a Bible, I hope you have one with you or on your phone. First, uh, Colossians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 12. Colossians 1 verse 12. And I like to lay out, I like to get out my New American Standard Bible. That, that, that Bible has been strictly translated word for word out of the original language. It's a very, very close to translation. Sometimes when you translate each word and then put it together, it doesn't always sound as flowing and beautiful, but it's extremely accurate. And I like to I like to read the, the, the uh, Passion Translation and the Message and other versions, the Amplified, NASB. I always think, why do preachers need an Amplified version? They always talk enough already. But, so just flowing in between verses of the Bible. And so, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who is qualified to share in the inheritance. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Think about that. You have been qualified to share in an inheritance. I've known a few young men and women who were qualified, who were inheriting a large sum of money, hundreds of millions, maybe in line for billions of dollars. How many of you know if you had a friend that was inheriting a billion dollars, you might treat them differently? Even if you tried not to, you might. And those folks have to guard themselves because, as you can imagine, almost everyone wants something. And they have very few friends that want nothing but to appreciate them. But we have an inheritance that's better than a billion dollars. I'm trying to get a glimpse of what that feels like to have an inheritance that's worth more than a billion dollars, to live like that, to know that, to have faith like that, to stand like that. We have an inheritance that's been purchased from us. And in verse 13, he's rescued us from the domain of darkness. And he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You've been ransomed. You've been rescued. There's something that's happened in the spiritual realm. When Adam and Eve fell, there was sin in our nature. There was sin that came down. We have one thing in common. Everyone in the room, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, it says, anybody know? The wages of sin is death. Thank you. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. For every one of us has sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We all share that inheritance from the first Adam. But 
Here it says he's rescued us. He's reached into that domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of light. I, I start to realize that I have an inheritance that's bigger than a billion dollars. When I realize someone pursued me, reached into me, reached in and grabbed me from a kingdom of darkness and pulled me into a kingdom of light. That's one thing you've inherited. And that is such a wonderful gift that we have. You've been ransomed. Uh, The Lord gives me new songs every time I ask. I get a new song. And one, one morning in worship, one of my favorite ones he ever gave me was, you've been ransomed from the fall. You've been ransomed to a call. You've been ransomed by the one who knows your name. He reached into the kingdom of darkness to a 17-year-old kid who was sitting in the back row of a little hippie church in Colorado Springs. He ransomed him. He, he heard the, the kid heard the word. He said, there's something there. It's resonating in my heart. He left crying every Sunday, just a tear in his eyes every Sunday night. That was me. And I would just come. I, no one invited me. I don't know why I came. But I'd hear the gospel message. And it talked about a kingdom of light. And I'd leave and the spirit was just uh, working on me. And I'd like, God, what is going on? Said a little secret prayer in the back. Closet Christian. Didn't tell anybody. But I've been rescued from a kingdom of darkness. There's a transaction that's going on in the spirit as you're pulled out of darkness into light, into an inheritance. I believe there's a young man, maybe two, maybe three, that are going to say a prayer today. Maybe quietly, maybe, they'll t- maybe they're behind the scenes. But they say, this is who I'm about. I'm going to be rescued from a kingdom of darkness. And, whom, and so in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So in the old covenant, it was really clear, you can't see God, you can't see God. Jesus came onto the scene and said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. He says he is the image of the invisible God and he's the firstborn of all creation. Amen. For by him all things were created, and both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything was created through our Jesus. One way you know you're on fire for the Lord is when you hear God being preached about and his name being exalted and him being sung and something in your spirit says, yes, I want that. I want that. I hear that. Preach it. Preach it. Sing it. Sing it, Vanessa. Preach it, Steve. That's my Jesus. Exalt him. Talk good about him. Let's brag on him. There's something in my spirit. The spirit of Christ is in you. He's, and so everything was created through him, by him, for him. You see how God's setting up this beautiful gospel. It's all been set up by him. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word there is is also pertaining to Christ. In the beginning was Christ, and Christ was with the word. Let's go there. John 1, 1. This is a great deity of Christ chapter. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was Jesus Christ, and the Jesus Christ was with God, and Jesus Christ was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing was made. Believers, it's important that we understand this. Nothing was made apart from Christ, Christ our King. And they were saying it, seeing it again. In, let's go back to Colossians. And so we'll go to verse 14, and I'm going to switch, uh, switch over to the Passion Translation. For in the Son, all our sins are canceled. And we have a release of redemptions through the ransom price he's paid, his very blood. You've been ransomed from the fall. You've been ransomed to a call. You've been ransomed by the one who knows your name. Imagine there was a stranger and you were born in a concentration camp. You were born in prison. You were born, and you were in a, in a spiritual prison. You were born into sin. And imagine in the physical you were in a concentration camp and the price on your head was $100 million and someone, a stranger, pursued you, got an attorney, got all the paperwork, paid the ransom and brought you out. How would you feel about that kind sir? He ransomed you from that place and he brought you out. I wonder... If he called you and asked you for a favor or gave you an assignment, what would you do? Would you run to do it? Would you say, yes, sir, I'd love to, anything I can do? What if he invited you into his family? What if he said, I want you to be, take on my name. I want you to live in my house. I want you to be a part of my presence. He's ransomed you for $100 million. He's brought you out. He's given you an inheritance. How would you respond to that great king? I bet you would worship the way we worship today. I love the way you guys worship. It's part of our inheritance. You worshiped today like you've been ransomed from the call. You worship today like you believe that you've been ransomed and taken out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. You worship from the front row to the back row like he's your king. And, there's, and I give my life for him. I love to run with people like that. And in the school of ministry, we're excited about that because you're running with a small group of people who paid a price to be there. And so in verse 15 in the Passion, he's the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God, the first bar, firstborn of all creation. And through, through the Son... Everything was created, both in the heavenly realm and on earth. Every seat of power, realm of government, principality, and authority, it was all created through him for his purpose. He existed before anything was made, so now everything finds its completion in him. It's obvious, right? Everything made through him. Everything that was made was made through our Father. And I... As a, I just, my personal feeling is I just don't have any, uh, any belief in, in uh, evolution. As I read these verses, 
everything was made through Christ. And, and the word says that it, if we sin, it creates death. The wages of sin is death. So if that verse is true to me, there was no death in the universe prior to Adam sinning and Eve sinning. As soon as they sinned, death reigned in the earth. Up till that, so we didn't have millions of years of dying and evolution and all that kind of stuff happening, in my opinion. It happened. Jesus Christ, there from the beginning, and the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus, he's our Savior. He's the one that pulls it all together. And so let's move on to this next verse. He's the head of his body, which is the church. So Jesus is the head of the body. When I, uh, when I came over here yesterday, a young lady was out along the front road as you come in off Far Road. She, Patty, she had a truckload full of sticks. She was just picking up sticks and acorns and uh, what are the pine cones? A truckload of pine cones. She's just serving the Lord, who's the head of the body. When I come here in the mornings, there's people here early, moving chairs, or they're setting up and worshiping. There's people working in with the kids. What are they doing? They're serving the Lord, the body. They're serving the head of the church. He is the head of the church. And so you guys are awesome when you serve, when you give, when you worship, Jesus is the head and he is that one. I was thinking about how we've been ransomed from the fall. I was thinking about three young men in this church. All three used to sell drugs. All three were imprisoned for selling drugs. All three came to Jesus. They were ransomed from the fall. They were plucked out of darkness. Two of these men married, have wonderful families. Two of these men, all three serving Christ. These three men I would go into a foxhole for. These three men I would trust my life with. These three men I know have been redeemed. I know are new creations in Christ Jesus. I see in their life that they've been changed and plucked out of darkness into light. Who's the great redeemer? Jesus is the great redeemer. Who is the one that turns hearts and changes people? The prison systems are trying to figure it out. Jesus is the answer. He's the one. These men, I would, I would, if they had my back in a war, I know I'd have it. I'm okay. He's the head. The church is uh, an easy target for people to criticize. It's an institution. It's easy to, to cut down an institution. And I remember when Lindy and I were feeling called to start the School of Ministry, and Chris Valentin said, well, we don't, we don't start schools without churches. We start churches that have schools. And I remember my heart kind of sank because uh, I knew ch churches are a lot of work. They're a lot of work. 
and they're emotionally can be, be tough. But as, as we have invested ourselves into the church, we've fallen in love with the church. And how many of you know when you fall in love with God, you end up loving the things they love? When you love someone, you love what they love. I don't love everything Lindy loves, but I love her, so I love what she loves, right? I've fallen in, as I've been, if you want to fall in love with something, invest in it. And then fall in love with the things, as God loves the church, I've fallen in love with you and the church. He's the head. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir and resurrection, he must always be embraced as the most exalted one. And verse 20, and by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven is restored and brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. One of the versions says that he is, he's like holding it together. Jesus is holding it together. There's a second, there's a, the engineers in the group, there's a second law of thermodynamics, entropy. It says everything is just spinning apart. The universe is just sort of spinning out of control. Everything's tending toward disorder. If you go into the two-year-old nursery, you'll see it's tending toward disorder. If you go to your high school son's Room. It's tending toward disorder. But Jesus is holding it together. He's holding it together. Creation. I, my personal opinion is since the fall, creation has been just sort of dispersing. It's kind of out of control. Can you imagine what would happen if there had been no fall? How beautiful creation might be? How beautiful we might be? Think about it. In in, uh, Romans 8, it says that creation is moaning, it's groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be manifest. Justin mentioned this verse earlier. Like creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed and manifest. And there was a curse on the ground in Genesis. You see that when Adam sinned. But you and I... The creation is waiting. When are the sons of God going to be manifest? And we're going to get our act together too. What's, what would it look like? This week on Friday, since Friday, uh, we were meeting with the builders and the architects. And there, there's some stakes. If you look around the tent, there's some stakes. There's blue little uh, lines to them and little ribbons. They're staking out the ground where the building is going. And we were doing some fine-tuning of a few, few places where the roads were going to go. I left that meeting so encouraged, like, it's finally going to happen. I, man, yay. Woo. And you guys have been so gracious putting up with what you've put up. I, I love going to church with hungry people. But as we were singing today, I was... I wonder what our songs of praise and worship are doing on this land. 
What happens when revival hits the land? And I was thinking about the area that's been carved out, and we're soaking it. Your praise is soaking the land. They had a revival in Guatemala, and my daughter Lauren did a talk on it in the School of Ministry. And they found out after the revival that the fruit started growing two, three, four times larger. I mean, the pictures of it are amazing. You're carrying squash on your shoulder. The revival affected the land as the reverse of the curse on the land. So, Lord, let it be so right here. Right here. Why not just start here and we just see, you know, what what if the hey, that hundred acres over there, it looks like Avatar. What's going on over there? But he's pulling everything back into himself. Verse 21, 22, even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions. How many of you would say, yeah, I've, before Christ I was living in the shadows of my evil thoughts and actions. Amen. Three hands. Thank you, Paul. You and I, we were living in the thoughts of our evil thoughts and actions. But how many of you know just because you said a prayer and walked down an aisle doesn't mean every evil thought or action went away? How many know that? I get a few more amens on that. We have to fight the battle of our minds. Most of life, spiritual life, is going on between our ears. And I I remember one night this week, I was just uh, dealing with thoughts of... um, They were like self-pity or negativity or bad things happening. Like, you have to fight to say no to those things. Like, no, that's not a godly thought. God, I want to wash my, I want my mind washed with the watering water of the word of God. Holy Spirit, that's not you. We fight the lies and uh, make our mind uh, be pure and a bastion. There's promises. Like, it's a it's, it's, a, it's like a castle, and you're standing on the, on the top of that castle, and you're guarding from anything that would come and attack your brain, your thoughts, your mind. We get to guard our thoughts. Amen? We're new creations, new creatures in Christ Jesus. But he reconnected you back to himself when you got saved, when he reached in, when he pursued you and he pulled you out of the kingdom of darkness, he reconnected you back to himself. If we'll get this truth, we'll actually live like it. We'll believe it and we'll, we'll, no, I've been redeemed. I've been brought back to myself. I don't have to think that way, church. I don't have to do that. And he released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body. There's no peace without the Prince of Peace. Last night I was, I was 
yesterday afternoon I was sitting on the, the table up there. You go up the steps of the church offices. There's a table outside. And I just had the songs of, that we were going to sing today. And I was reading these words. And his peace, his grace, his anointing. My sermon last night to no one was even more, was more anointed than this one. It was pretty awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these two connected. But there's no peace without the Prince of Peace. There's no barrier between your redeemed self, yourself that it says, I am God, forgive me of my sins. Yourself that has surrendered to Him. There's no barrier between you and Him. He fought and paid the price to ransom you for a reason. He wants to spend time with you more than you want to spend time with Him. You've been ransomed from the fall. You've been ransomed to a call. You've been ransomed by the one who knows your name. He reached into darkness and pulled you into himself because he doesn't want any barrier. He's a good, good father. It's the will of God that all men should be saved. How do you reconcile that? That it said, the Bible says that it's the will of God that all men should be saved. He's a good father. He wants everyone to be saved. He says that in 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. And yet, he says the wages of sin is death. How do you reconcile a God of justice and a God of mercy? Those two dance together at the cross through the one man, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. They're dancing in unity, the God of mercy and the God of truth. I love um, uh, those that might have seen The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. And remember, Aslan was the Christ type. He was the lion. Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Our Lord, our God, he isn't safe, but he's good. He's good, and he, and he, but he's a God of justice and the God of mercy. He's the God of the, ma- the majestic one. He's the God that... He's majestic, he's, he's maker of the universe with one breath. He spoke and the universe came into being. He's mighty, he's worth being feared. But he is the same one who pursued you and pulled you out of darkness. The same majestic God, the same God being worth being feared in, in the right sense of that term. Also knows you by name and knows every hair on your head. And loves you so beautifully. Amen. Whereas we're closing here. 
And now there is nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you holy, flawless, and restored. There's nothing between you, David Murray, and the King of Kings. He sees you holy. He sees you restored. He sees you flawless. There's nothing between you and him, Michael Brooks. He sees you holy. He sees you restored. He sees you as one of his own. There's what Scott, I see you, Scott Redding. He sees you holy. There's nothing between you and him. He's reached into the darkness and he said, I'm going to give, I'm going to show them in a way that people will understand because people understand love of their children more than anything else. There's something strange. You'd be willing to give up your life for your child the moment they're born. It doesn't make any sense. He says, I'm going to use that as a, as a key for how much I love Jesus. And I'm going to give the one I love the most in a, in a language that they can understand. And I'm going to let him be killed for your benefit. And because of that, he becomes the penalty. The wages of sin is death. He becomes death for us. And God, in his mercy and in his truth, reconciles those two things. This wasn't an oops when Adam sinned. God knew it would happen before the foundation of the world. He understood it would happen. And in Christ, he brought mercy and truth together. And he brought his love for you where he could... He's not a God. That, he's, he's not like a man that he would lie. In Numbers it says, he's not a man that he would lie. God can't just say, oops, I didn't mean the wages of sin is death. He can't say, Ali Ali income free. Oh, I didn't mean that. He's not a politician. He's not a man that he could lie. From the foundation of the world, he understood I'm going to bring mercy and truth together. And I'm going to pursue you because I'm a good father. Am I safe? No, I'm not safe. The lion Aslan is not safe. But he loves you. There's nothing... There's nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. If indeed you continue. I hate the ifs in the Bible. Those little words. If you continue. If you continue. I've had friends that haven't continued. I've had friends that say, oh, there's lots of ways to get to heaven. This is just one of them. I don't know how you read Colossians chapter 1 when God is saying everything that is in Jesus, everything is held together by him. He's the perfect sacrifice. When I hear that, I'm like, do you even get it? It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's Jesus who worked the, walked the perfect life and became our sacrifice, who willingly got on the cross, and his blood is shed for our sins. There's no other way to do this. This is how mercy and love and truth come together. It wasn't an after-the-fact plan. Oh, oh, I know how I'll figure this out. Before the foundations of the earth. 
He chose you before the foundations of the earth, and he knew the plan of salvation for you. You have an inheritance that's better than a billionaire's. And the God of creation has said, there's nothing in between us. When I'm in the middle of the night having some self-pity thought, it isn't Colossians, it isn't Jesus, it isn't God. There isn't anything of God in that because he's chased me down and pursued that 17-year-old kid and pulled me out of darkness into light, just like you have your story and your testimony. There's no room for self-pity. There's no room for guile. There's no room for he loves that person. There's no reason, well, what about that? Think of, can you hear the voice of Paul through Colossians? He's in jail. Do you hear any self-pity? Do you hear any guile? Do you hear anything that's hope, that isn't hope and building and life and I'm for you and truth? The man's in jail. You don't hear any of that. He's not whining. And the next verse, never be shaken from the hope of the gospel you have believed in. Never be shaken from the hope of the gospel you have believed in. Never be shaken from the hope of the gospel you have believed in. It's your life. It's all that you are. Never be shaken from the hope of the gospel you have believed in. It isn't, don't take for granted that you can end strong. I don't take it for granted. I need you. I need the worship that I felt on Wednesday night and felt something happening. I needed to hear Lindy and I just speak on Wednesday night and I could hear, feel the washing of an anointing on her life just flowing that that's comes only from Jesus. I need you. I needed to be here today to get that stuff off me. I need you and you need me. There's no, you read God's generals and many of our heroes didn't end well. Every one of you has a friend who's walked away from the faith. God from the foundation of the earth pursued you with his son. He walked a perfect life. He became a sacrifice. He hung on a tree for you and me. We're going to walk away from that kind of love. And it comes with peace. There's no peace like the Prince of Peace. And last yesterday afternoon on that porch, and I could just feel the presence of the King coming back. And my heart becoming raw to the things of God and my hunger meter growing and the heat, the burning part of my spirit, man, growing. It's like, yes, God. If you're dry, there's a way out. 
We need each other. You can't let yourself just float back out, get offended or get hurt or just get lazy. We need each other. When I was 30, I thought I could just do it all on my own. I don't need anybody. When you're 60, you know you need people. I I need people. I mean, I need help. I mean, I can barely get to the gym by myself. almost have to pay a coach just to get to the gym. I need help. We need each other. So how do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Just open up the word, get some music playing, call your friend, ask him to prophesy, call your brothers and sisters in Christ, have them speak words of life over you, get the stuff off you, go fast and pray, get away from the TV for a few days, quit eating food and just let him be your eat and meat and drink and the spirit man comes alive again. And you become a burning one again. And you get to know what you're living for and what's your inheritance. And you recall the call on your life and the words spoken over your life. Sometimes the Spirit of God is just speaking. Wake up, wakey, wakey, wake up, wake up. Wake up. So, Lord, let us be that kind of people, the burning ones, the hungry ones. So the altar call today, Lord, would be, if you've just felt yourself have gotten to a dry place, I want you to come forward. If you felt yourself that you've, uh, You just need a shot of the gospel of Jesus Christ flowing through your veins. I want you to come forward. You just say, Lord, this is my step, my act of obedience, my one step into whatever else you want for me to strengthen myself in the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.